In 1 Corinthians 4.16, the Apostle Paul wrote, I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. Now, how does that strike you? Does it uh, seem a little egotistical? You know, how could anyone say, imitate me? Have you ever said that yourself? Can you see yourself saying that? You know, I can remember my dad saying, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, that may have had a hollow ring to it, but at least it didn't sound egotistical. But Paul actually told us to imitate him, and he said it more than once. Now, it doesn't sound quite as egotistical when in 2 Thessalonians 3.9 he wrote, We offer ourselves as a model for you, that you might follow our example. But he's basically saying the same thing. I want you to follow my example. I want you to imitate my behavior. Now, that is certainly a bold thing to say. And it certainly puts one's life into close scrutiny. Maybe that's the real reason most of us would be hesitant to say it. But Paul said it. Confident that he was setting an example worthy of emulation. And Timothy, his son in the faith, had followed his example in more ways than one. Would that we lived lives worthy of emulation and had the courage to say, follow me. Continuing our study in 2 Timothy 3, ready for verses 10 and 11. Writing to Timothy, he said, But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Now, rather than begin with the words, but you followed my teaching, and so forth, the NIV translates it, you, however, know all about my teaching, and so forth. Now, the word that Paul used is actually a combination of two words, the word for beside and the word for follow. And it's only used two other times in the New Testament. Luke used it to express how he had investigated, he had followed the facts of the gospel. And Paul used it in 1 Timothy when referring to the sound doctrine that Timothy had followed. So translators are divided as to whether Paul is here simply saying Timothy knew about these things, followed them like someone might follow the news, or actually followed them by putting them into practice in his own life. Now, obviously, I come down on the side of that second understanding. I really don't think Paul is simply saying that Timothy knew about these things. I believe he's recognizing the fact that Timothy knew about them and followed the example Paul set through them. 
You know, Paul made it clear. He wanted others to follow his example. But he did not just assume people would do so because he wanted them to. He realized he would have to give them reasons to do so. And he therefore taught and modeled what he wanted them to follow. He made sure that he taught his followers what they should do and why they should do it. He made clear what would be required of those who would imitate his life and why they should. You know, there are a lot of people that we admire, but we seldom commit ourselves to imitating their lifestyle. So if we would have people follow our example, we must convince them that they should. And that will require teaching. And that's where Paul began. He began with teaching. Then he made sure he practiced what he preached. That his conduct was in line with his profession. You know, nothing negates our effectiveness as an example quicklier than a failure to be what we say. And kids are especially perceptive in spotting such inconsistencies and are therefore quick to rebel against models we don't maintain. Now, I don't think we can assume that is what has happened when kids go through periods of rebellion. But sometimes it is. Sometimes parents who proclaim to have faith don't demonstrate it in the privacy of their homes in a way that honors Christ. And kids can see that. That needs to be foremost in our mind in everything we say and do in our home, in the workplace, and when we're just with our kids, and even when we're disciplining our kids. We've got to be sure that our behavior confirms our stated faith. That's really, really important. But Paul didn't have a problem in that area. His conduct was consistent with what he said. It was consistent with his teaching. And his purpose in life was clear. And it was one that others could share. There was no doubt as to what motivated Paul. It was his commitment to the lordship of Christ and to fulfilling the commission that had been given to him. His enemies could see it, and his followers could embrace it. Following God's call, therefore, became their purpose in life as well. Again, if we would have our children and grandchildren follow the example we set, they must understand our purpose, our primary objective in life, why it is we do what we do. And then we must do all we can to assure that that objective becomes theirs as well. In order for that to happen, they must see how our faith causes us to be faithful to our objective in life. Paul's faith was obviously worth emulating. He had complete confidence in Christ and could therefore be faithful to God's call on his life, even in the face of adversity. 
He knew what he was doing and why he was doing it, and nothing could make him break faith. And since he had a message that called for people to change their life, he was patient with them. His patience gave them the time needed to accept him and his message. He didn't give up on people when they failed to measure up, when they fell short of his example. You know, sometimes we get really frustrated when people disappoint us. I'm sure Paul got frustrated as well, but he didn't give up on them. As long as he could see they had a desire to accept what he had to offer, he kept offering it and encouraging them to take another step. And they were willing to keep trying because his love for them and for God was obvious. He really cared about them, and they knew it. And his love for them was motivated by the the highest form of love, the love he experienced was motivated by an unconditional love that he bathed himself in every day at the foot of the cross. His wasn't an emotional, fly-by-night sentimentality that could evaporate without notice. Those he loved knew he loved them. His love persevered, as did his commitment to Christ. Nothing could get him off course. And his perseverance encouraged others to hang in there as well. In fact, the persecutions he endured gave courage to others. Now, Timothy was just a babe in Christ when Paul was driven out of Antioch, nearly stoned in Iconium and actually stoned and left for dead in Lystra. But his willingness to suffer for the faith made an indelible impression on Timothy and proved Paul to be genuine. So when Paul said, follow me, people followed, even though they knew it wouldn't be easy. Verses 12 and 13. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, Paul was completely honest about the demands of discipleship. He wasn't so seeker-sensitive that he was afraid to tell the truth about what to expect. It's not easy to follow Christ. And the world is not going to reward you for doing so. In fact, Paul says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, the world will reward you for what it perceives to be a good life and even a godly life in its eyes. Doing good for others and the community will generally result in praise from the world. But if those good deeds are coupled with the moral demands of Christ, expect rejection, no matter how much good you do. If your life and message stand in judgment of others, 
and calls for a change from a lifestyle they enjoy, you better expect rejection. That's why it's usually easier to get people involved in civic organizations that make minimal moral demands than it is to get them involved in recognizable kingdom work. You know, the world that crucified Jesus will not embrace those who let him live through them. Jesus told us that would be the case, and Paul said we better not expect anything different. In fact, he said, as evil men and imposters get worse, and they will, we better expect even rougher times ahead. Contrary to the expectation of some, we're not promised that times will get better for believers. At least not in this life. Not in these last days. Now, there will be lulls in persecution and seasons when it appears that even whole societies embrace Christianity. But as it becomes evident what God demands of his followers, that nothing less than the total submission of man's will to his is required, the facade of compatibility between Christ and the world will fall away. So we better not expect the approval of men. We better not expect peace and harmony between two systems that are diametrically opposed. There is going to be tension between good and evil as long as evil exists. A day is coming, however, when evil will be no more, and our salvation is complete. So we hang on and follow the example set for us until then. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy could find the strength to remain true to Christ, even in the face of persecution and suffering, because he had confidence in Paul's teaching and example. Paul had taught him well. He had demonstrated the validity of his teaching by the life that he lived. And Timothy, what he had learned at the feet of Paul, now made that his personal conviction. It wasn't just something he saw in Paul. It was what he lived. And he knew God's word. And he knew it was true. And he knew that God would keep his promises. And he knew what the promises were, for he had been taught the scriptures from childhood. He hadn't just heard general sweet sayings about what Jesus might do for him. He knew from the scripture what God said he would and what he would not do. His mother 
and grandmother had seen fit to it that that he knew the sacred writings, that he knew the Old Testament. And through the scriptures, Timothy had gained wisdom that could lead him through life and death. And he knew it would because he saw it at work in Paul's life. And even more importantly, through the scriptures, he had found faith in Christ Jesus. And it is faith in Christ, not Paul, that secures a man's salvation. Timothy knew that. Because everything Paul said and did was intended to build faith in Jesus. When he said, imitate me, he wasn't being egotistical. He was simply trying to help others imitate a Christ they couldn't see by imitating a man they could see. It is true that he said to the Corinthians, I exert you, therefore, be imitators of me. But he also said to them, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. That's an example we can follow with complete confidence. And that is the example we must set for others. You know, everything, everything that we say and do should point beyond ourselves to Jesus because he's the reason we do what we do, the way we do it, no matter what it is we're doing. We do it the way we do it because of our commitment to Christ whether we're at work, whether we're at play, whether we're just having fun with each other. We do it the way we do it because we're committed to Christ. And that should be seen. That should be obvious. It was obvious in Paul's life. You know, Christ is the one who gives meaning and purpose to life. And he's the only one who can prepare us for life to come. In fact, he's the only one who can save us from ourselves and make us acceptable in the Father's eyes. When we stand before God, as we all will, and he sees us, he must see his son. And he will. If we have become like him. Now it's not just a matter of imitation though. It's not just a striving. To appear. To be something that we're not. The good news is that God makes it possible for us to be like his son. Through the cleansing he offers. So the sin is gone. And through the indwelling of his spirit that he sends. It's my prayer today that you can imitate me. I know some say, whoa, a lot of little Rickies running around. No, that's not what we're talking about. You don't have to dress the way I dress. You can dress the way Mark dresses. I don't care. (laughs) Except not today. You know, you can respond to people in different ways. 
I've, I've known preachers in the past who became little images of another preacher. Sometimes that can be, be helpful because we learn from each other. But we've got to be very careful that we're not copying anyone. But we're being encouraged by what we see in someone else to become what God wants us to be. And together we can all become like Jesus. There's no one of us who can reflect the image of Christ in and of ourselves. That's why we are a body. Okay? Some of us are called to be arms. Some of us legs. Some of us eyes or ears or a mouth. But together we become the body of Christ. And we do our part. We do our part. We want the world to see Christ in us collectively and even individually when we go out from this place and we carry the image of Christ in our life. It is my prayer that you can imitate me. I've been around for a long time. You know that. <laughs> Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And together, we can be like Jesus. Amen? Let's stand.